Several times a year, we uh, invite the children to come in to be with us because we're giving all of our ministry partners a break several times a year so that uh, they can be with their family. And so uh, to all the folks that serve in our nursery, our preschool, our K through two, our K through five, would you join me in thanking them for their selfless service? We've not had a chance to meet. My name's Merle. It's my joy to serve as uh, lead pastor here. On behalf of the family, I want to welcome you. If you're joining us online, would you make sure and go to pleasantvalley.org slash connect and uh, let us know that you're here and how we can serve you. And if you're here in the building, whether you're here in the worship center or the chapel or you're in the commons, as soon as the service is over with, if you'll come out to the welcome center, we'd love to say hello. If you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, it would be our joy to talk with you about that. Or if you have some significant decision to make, like baptism, or you want to get plugged into group life or membership, just let us know and we will help you. Now, for a lot of people around our country, uh, they look at this weekend as just a three-day weekend, but we know that it's more than just a three-day weekend that's kind of the start of summer. We know that this is a day of memory. And this is a day for us to reflect on um, the freedom that we have that is not free. It's freedom that uh, often involved the sacrifice of family members. And you have some family members maybe in military service over the years who in the fight for freedom... Uh, gave their life, and whether that was World War II, or whether that was Korea, whether that was Nam, or whether that was in the Middle East, or wherever it might be, I think it would be important for us to say thank you to those who have sacrificed so much. And we're going to say thank you with just a moment of silence, where you can bow your head, and if there's a loved one that uh, God brings to your mind or a friend or a family member who you know has given their life, if you'll just thank God for them and pray for their family, and then I'm going to collectively pray for us. So let's take a moment and pause. Father, we are grateful for the country that we live in. Our country is not perfect because we are citizens of this country, but we are grateful for our country and we're grateful for the freedoms that we have and we're grateful for um, the values that were a part of establishing this country. And God, we, we thank you that over the years there have been men and women who have paid the ultimate sacrifice of their lives, fighting for and defending freedom. And um, we just want to say that we're, we're grateful and that we are the benefactors. And God, I know that there are some family members here today who have very powerful memories and uh, very deep wounds that they still grapple with over a loved one, a, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, uh, who gave their life 
whose life was taken from them. And I pray that you would come alongside and do what you do best. Be the God of comfort. Be the God of mercy. Be the God of healing and bring healing to them. To those fellow soldiers who perhaps saw things that they never thought in their life they would ever see and experience whatever they experienced, I pray that you would bring healing to them, that you could heal the deep wounds and that you'd be able to cleanse the memories and that they would be able to move to a place of greater strength and that we as the church would come alongside them as well and be a solid place, a refuge for them. And so God, we don't hesitate to pray for peace to come to the earth in a greater way. And we know that that won't happen apart from knees bowing and tongues confessing that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. And we long for the day when you will establish your kingdom here on earth fully and forever where peace will reign among all people. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and everybody everywhere said, amen. Well, we're continuing a series on relationships. It's called Relationship Goals, and we've looked at a number of things thus far. And so if you're with us for the first time, I would encourage you, if you'd like to know where we've been, you can go online, and and we've talked about the relationship goal of bold love, the relationship goal of genuine empathy, the relationship goal of uh, mutual respect. Next week, I want you to come back and not miss it because... You probably need next week more than the people in your life. We're going to talk about generous forgiveness. But today I want to talk about the one thing that appears to be based upon research, and I can say in my own life because I am so imperfect in pulling this off, the number one challenge for all relationships. What do you believe it is? So what I want you to do, whether you're in the chapel, whether you're in the commons, whether you're at home, if you're listening to us while you're driving, keep driving and and don't take your eyes off the road or anything like that. Here in this room, if there's a person around you that doesn't mind you telling them this, what do you believe is the number one challenge for good relationships? Go ahead and say it. Number one challenge. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're going, the other person, that's the wrong answer. That is the wrong answer, although you feel it. Number one challenge for a good relationship. All right, somebody just shout out an answer. Very good. Parents, no, that is, although that is not the right answer, although knowing your parents, I understand. So that is, that was not good of me to say. I apologize (laughs) to you, to our guests that are with us today. I'm often not that snarky. I apologize. So. Uh, Research says that the number one challenge for good relationships is communication. 50% of all wives say their husbands are not good at communication. And all the women said, you should not have amen that. I set you up and you go, no, not my husband. No, not him at all. He's he's fantastic. He is a veritable chatterbox. I can't get him to stop talking about all things important. So they're good. The husbands are going, yes, finally, somebody. So 50% of all wives saying their husbands don't really do a good job of communicating. 80 per, 
of all people who divorced said that the number one deficit that was a leading indicator and a leading factor in their ending their marriage was communication. 25% of all young people, 25%, let me make sure I get the statistic right, 25% of all young people indicate they have never had a meaningful conversation with their father. We said, what would it be like if we had a vision for our relationships, whether it's husband, wife, parent, child, friends, coworkers, people, where we go to school, all of our relationships, where our relationships were so healthy, so vibrant, so alive, so God-fused and God-indwelt that people would look at us and the relationships that we have and the way that we relate to one another and go, I want whatever they have. And they would ask us questions and we'd be able to bear witness to the fact that Jesus is the one who really does make a difference in all of these areas. And so we've said that Jesus is for us the example that we are following. We are called as followers of Jesus to be like him. God is using everything at his disposal to form and shape us into the likeness of Jesus. And we can be like Jesus who was the perfect human who voluntarily did what the Father said, who lived in harmony with other people because he took the initiative to depend on God's strength and God's power. So we're going to look real quickly at four different ways that you and I can improve considerate communication. Say that with me, considerate communication. One more time, considerate communication. So children, I want you to listen to me for just a minute. I want you to listen really carefully to at least one thing you're going to tell your mom or your dad or your grandparents that they need to do to be in better relationship with you. Okay? Parents, you get ready to listen to your kids because they speak truth. All right, here we go. Are you ready? You ready to take notes? Okay, the rest of you are not. So uh, for just a few people that want to hear this message, I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer now. And the rest of us are going to go back here and we're going to talk. So here we go. Considerate communication comes from a good heart. That's where it begins. Now, we might think communication is all about what we say and how we say it. And those two things are important. But that's not where communication originates. It originates from the heart. Considerate communication comes from a good heart. The opposite of that would be this. Inconsiderate communication finds its source from a a bad heart. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 12, we find a series of encounters that Jesus has with the ultra-religious elite leaders. And they are having problem after problem after problem with Jesus because the way Jesus is going about doing good doesn't fit in their box of how you're supposed to do good. In particular, Jesus was doing good things to people on the Sabbath day. And they said, you shouldn't be doing that. But Jesus continued to do that because he understood the heart of God. On one occasion... There was a man whose life was absolutely wrecked by evil. And so Jesus, in an act of mercy and with authority from God, cast the evil out of this man. 
the religious leaders were incensed by this, and they said this, the reason you were able to do that is because, Jesus, you are possessed of the spirit of Satan himself. Only Satan would do the very thing that you did. And Jesus said, hold your horses now. Do you realize what you have just said? Basically, what you have done is you've called a good act of God an evil act of the enemy. And I want you to know that that is blasphemous to a good God. And that kind of statement is an unforgivable sin whenever you blaspheme against God, when you call a good work of God an evil act of God. And then he said, where this has come from inside of you, you are so... You're so religious on the outside. Do you not understand that the things that you're saying are coming from a bad place inside? He says this in Matthew chapter 12. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. How can you speak good things when you're evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Let's say that together. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Considerate communication comes from a good heart. He goes on to say this. A good person produces good things from the storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, so let me just do a pause for you. Jesus is getting super serious right here. Jesus is not spinning anything. He is just speaking truth in love. He says, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. Words are powerful, and Jesus knows that because words demonstrate what is going on in the heart. He wants us to know that good things are going to come from a good heart. So let me get really practical for just a minute. How is it that you and I can speak from a good heart? How can you com considerately communicate with other people coming from a good place inside of you? So I want you to imagine for just a moment, you're in a conversation with really a really important person in your life, and they happen to say something to you that causes you to, like, want to react rather than respond. How can you respond from a good heart? Let me suggest four ways that this can happen. You speak from a good heart when you first of all pause and breathe. Everybody take a breath with me. James, the half-brother of Jesus, put it like this. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. James is saying when you find yourself in a situation, the first thing you need to be quick to do is you need to be quick to slow down and take a breath 
and take a pause. James didn't say, be really quick to respond, be really quick to say something, be really quick to let your anger be expressed. No, he says, be really quick, make it a priority, get to first base as quickly as you can, pausing, slowing down. A brief pause can make a huge difference in a conversation. I know of a guy, I know of a guy, I know this one guy who has found himself often reacting immediately rather than pausing and responding a little bit slower. And he could tell you this, he would have saved himself a great deal of time in apologizing and repairing a relationship if he would have just simply slowed down before he said anything at all. Pause. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And if you pause and breathe, it's going to enable you to do the next thing, and that is to identify your own feelings. Take a breath, pause, identify your own feelings. When you're pausing for a minute, identify your own feelings. Why did James say everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? Anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God because he recognizes inside of every human being there is this potential volcano of emotions that if we don't get in control of them, exactly, they're going to do that right there. They're just going to come out because you feel what it is that you feel on the inside. But if you pause and you take a breath, ask yourself the question, am I glad? Am I sad? Am I mad? Am I scared? Am I hurt? What am I feeling right now? And what happens when you and I can identify what it is that we are feeling, we can be gently present with our own feelings, which gives them a time to settle down. Therapists would call that self-soothing. So you're able to settle yourself down so that you can communicate from a good heart and not from a reactive heart. One relationship expert said it like this, If we can feel our breath and stay inside our body, we're better positioned to skillfully dance with our fiery emotions and sensations rather than unleash them. Have you ever danced with your fiery emotions? I've done the tango and the tangle many times with my fiery emotions. He says, by increasing emotional safety in a relationship, we improve our chances of being heard. And he gives this example. It is easier for another person to hear me say, I'm feeling really sad and I've been missing you and I would love to spend time together with you instead of me saying, it's obvious you love your work more than you love me. Pause, breathe, identify your emotions, and that way then you can, third of all, think before you speak. Actually think before you say something. Proverbs 18.13, the one who gives an answer before he listens, this is foolishness and a disgrace for him. That's a kind way of saying the person who speaks before he listens is a fool. And you don't want to be that. Do you know any people who have spoken before they have really listened? Show of hands. Are there people in your life close to you 
that do that? Are you the one that does that? Come on now. When you think before you speak, you eliminate two potential conflict phrases. That if you use these two phrases, they indicate you've not thought before you have spoken. And when you use these two phrases, I am here to guarantee you that you are going to have a fiery conflict. But when you think before you speak, it will keep you from saying this. You always... You never, or you make me feel. You say those kind of statements, number one, they're all lies. I don't know of anybody that's that consistent, that they always do anything and they never do anything. And here's the deal. Nobody can make you feel what you don't choose to feel. So think before you speak. You can't control how others respond, but I can control, you can control the words we use and maybe more importantly, the tone with which we speak. One last thing in in terms of communicating considerately from a good heart. If you uh, pause, if you identify your feelings, if you think before you speak, then it will help you be in a position to listen and seek to understand. Similar to Proverbs 18:13, Proverbs 17:27 says, "The one who keeps, the one who has knowledge restrains his words. And the one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. If I slow down, if I pause, if I identify what I'm feeling, if I think before I speak, it's going to help me really understand where you are coming from." Francis of Assisi put it like this in his prayer of St. Francis or his prayer of peace was like, Lord, help me not so much to be understood as to understand. Stephen Covey put it like this, seek first to understand before being understood. That's a principle for good relationships. But what do we do? I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to make confessions here. You're eavesdropping on me saying what is true of me, sometimes, many times, I listen with the intent of responding instead of understanding. But when I listen in order to respond rather than understand, this is what happens. Staff will tell you this. My children would tell you this. My bride would tell you this. If I listen for how I'm going to respond instead of listening to understand, I miss the people completely. And I have even had somebody tell me more than once, you're making this conversation all about you and you're missing me completely. Busted. Busted. When I listen to respond, I am preparing in my mind what I'm going to say, what questions I'm going to ask and how I'm going to defensively protect myself and offensively put down your reasoning. I filter everything I hear through my life experiences, through my frame of reference. I check everything against the autobiography of my life and see how it measures up. And then often what happens is I decide prematurely what the other person means before she has ever had an opportunity to finish what she's saying. The importance of listening. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it like this. He who can no longer listen to his brother, to his sister, to his wife, to his 
to her husband, to her children, to her co-worker. He who can no longer listen to his fellow follower of Jesus will soon be no longer listening to God either. He will be doing nothing but prattle in the presence of God too. Christians have forgotten that the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him who is himself the great listener in whose work they should share. So if we are going to have considerate communication, it's going to come from a good heart. That's the first point. The second point is this, considerate communication not only comes from a good heart, it's going to be clear and truthful. And my clear communication is going to go too long, so I'm getting ready to ratchet this up just a bit. The foundation of communication is trust. Where there is no trust, communication is going to suffer. In the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, Jesus, in one point, is speaking about the importance of communication being clear and communication being truthful. He says this. He says, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne or by earth because it's his footstool or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but read it with me. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. The proud Jewish leaders had been listening to Jesus give his message and and the proud Jewish leaders were impeccable in their observance of the big 10 commandments. They knew about commandment number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. They knew about commandment number nine, do not bear false witness. And they would keep it impeccably. But like the other commandments, they had ways of devising a system of loopholes or additional traditions that got around the truth of the commandments. So for instance, they wouldn't take an oath but they would swear by all different kinds of things. They couldn't use the name Yahweh because it was the sacred name of God. If they spoke by the name of God, if they swore by Yahweh's name, they would be bearing false witness and they would be taking God's name in vain. So they just simply took God out of the equation and they found different ways to swear. So you get the idea when Jesus says, hey, listen, don't swear at all. Don't swear by heaven. It's God's throne. Don't swear by earth. It's God's footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem. It's the great city, the city of the great king. But the religious leaders found this loophole where they could go ahead and swear, but not take God's name in vain. So I swear by Jerusalem. I I swear by heaven. I swear by earth. Jesus says, don't swear at all because your theology is all messed up. Heaven and earth aren't any different to God. They're both sacred. Jerusalem is a sacred place because, yeah, it is the, it's the city of God. The point is this. Don't, by, don't swear by any place or anything 
Because it doesn't matter what you swear by, God is in the midst of it. He is in the center of all things, no matter what you say. So Jesus is saying, here's the deal. Just tell the truth. Do you know why we swear by things? I swear on a stack of Bibles. Before God, I tell you this. You know why we do that? Because we want to manipulate people into believing what we want them to believe or doing what we want them to do. Swearing, oathing is all about manipulating other people. And Jesus says, don't do it. Just say what you mean and mean what you say. Using a bunch of spiritual talk doesn't make your words true. Anytime you manipulate words to get your own way, you're wrong. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Parents, if you tell your child yes, that we will do this and you make a promise, even if it is inconvenient for you to go get ice cream at nine o'clock at night because you said if they were good, you'd get them ice cream. You can't say, oh, well, honey, it's too late now. You go get the ice cream because you said yes. Children, if your parents say, no, you can't do this, that doesn't mean that you go ask the other parent to see if you can get them to say yes. Let their no be no, and let your yes be yes. But do you know why we are great at manipulating yeses and nos? Because some of us are such people pleasers. We just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And so rather than just being truthful, no, I really don't want to do it, you go, yeah, okay, well, sure, I'll do that. And inside we're going, I hate doing that. I have done this too many times. Sweetheart, would you like to go shopping with me? Well, sure, honey. I would rather you peel my toenails off right now. Rather than speaking the truth. Now, there are times that I really love shopping with my wife because she loves to do it. Not because I love to do it. And that's the reason that I would do that. But it would be better for me, and she's told me this, sweetheart, just say, no, I really don't feel like doing that today. Okay. Rather than going along and being a curmudgeon, where I sit outside and look at my phone while she's in there shopping, or I follow her around just like this the entire time. <laughs> what do you think about this? Yeah. You like this? Mm, yeah. Why do you have to touch and feel everything? Because that's shopping. More than you wanted to know. I should move on right now. Should just, I should just move on. It is better to disappoint with an answer that is true than to deliver some kind of wishy-washy stuff that is confusing. We miss each other in communication because sometimes our responses are just a mystery to the other person. Just say yes. Just say no. Speak the truth in love, but just say what it is that you, you need to say. Don't overpromise and fail to deliver because you don't want to say on the front end, no, I can't really, I can't really pull that off today. All right, here we go. Considerate communication comes from a good heart. It's clear and truthful. Third of all, it looks for ways to connect. 
If you're having considerate communication, you're looking for ways to connect with another person. Jesus was the master communicator at both public speaking and at interpersonal relationships. And he was a master at finding ways to connect with other individuals. Jesus often connected by using word pictures. He would use word pictures. He'd use metaphors. He'd use images. It says in Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables and he didn't speak to them anything that wasn't in a parable and he told them parables to fulfill what the prophet said uh, that I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the word. Word pictures, parables, metaphors have a way of conveying emotions and experiences that just Strict words don't convey. Saying to your wife, when I am with you, I feel like I am king of the world, means so much to her. Using a word picture like that, a young wife was having a conversation with her young husband and she was feeling ignored and she used this word picture that helped me as I read what she said really connect with what she was feeling. She says, you know how last summer you were taking this class and you were reading this book and you were taking notes on this book almost every night and you really dug into it and you tried to learn all there was, not just for the test, but because it might help you someday in your profession. And then what happened after you finished the book and you finished the course? You know what you did with the book? You closed it and you put it in a box and you put the box away. You don't pick up that book anymore. It doesn't seem to be important to you anymore. That book represents the way that I feel you have been treating me lately. When we were dating, you couldn't wait to pick me up. You couldn't wait to read every page of my life, to talk and act like I was important to you and our future was important, but it feels like I'm just not that important and you've boxed me up and you've put me away. Sometimes using word pictures is a great way of conveying the emotions that just mere words won't convey. Jesus looked for common ground when talking to individuals. What is it that we have in common? When Jesus uh, was in uh, an area close to Jacob's well, it says this in John chapter 4, he had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his sons, to the son of uh, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman from Samaria came out to draw water. Give me a drink, he said to her. What was the thing they had in common? Water. Jesus used the well as a point of conversation to say, I need a drink. And that conversation ended up him talking to her about the water of life that he could give her. Now, this was interesting because they had nothing in common from the outside. Jesus was a Jewish man. She was a Samaritan woman, a relationship racially that would not have mixed. 
She was a woman. He was a man. You didn't talk to a woman in public. She was a woman that had a reputation because she wasn't going out getting water in the morning like the rest of the women. She had to come at noontime. That means that people knew things about things she had done. And yet Jesus looked for a way to find common ground with her. Over the past years, as I've been working on improving race relations with my friends and with others, one of the things that I have been learning in these conversations is that we have more in common than we have that is not common. And if you look for what is it that we have in common to be the place where you begin the conversation, trust can be built. So what's the common goal that you look for in a conversation with another person? Maybe the common, the common ground is we have a common goal. We have a common end in mind. We have a common value that we share. We have a common why that is driving us. Jesus looked for common ground. Jesus also employed questions. He employed questions. I won't have time to go through all of these, but... Questions, open-ended questions are a great way to help a communication happen between individuals. Jesus asked one person, why do you call me good? He asked another person, what do you want me to do for you? He asked another person, will you give me a drink? He asked another person, do you want to get well? Dale Carnegie said this, and I think it's still true 80 years later. Ask questions of other people that they would enjoy answering. Get to know them. Ask them questions that they would like to answer. You're in a relationship with your spouse. Ask them a question that reveals who they are, but ask it in a way that is seeking to draw them out. Ask an open-ended question to them. Finally, here we are. Drawing it to a close. Considerate communication comes from a good heart. It's clear and truthful. It looks for ways to connect. And considerate communication is often expressed non-verbally. It's been suggested that about 70% of what we say is non-verbal. There's all kinds of ways that we communicate that are really more powerful than our words. Research indicates that females have a tendency when they talk, they like being face-to-face -face with each other. They like connecting. Men have a tendency to sit at angles with each other when they talk or side-by-side. -side. A female might think that if they are just side by side with someone. They're not really connecting with each other if they're just doing side by side. Men think about being side, to side by side as we're doing this together. There's a real sense of community with us doing that. There are all different kinds of ways to, to communicate. I've, I've, I've said this before. My wife is wonderful and she's wonderfully perceptive and she reads my face. And there are times that I just want to have a bag over my head and say, don't look at my face. Because my face betrays what it is I'm feeling. Are you angry? No, I'm not angry. What are, you, what are you sad about? I'm not sad. I'm super great and getting better. 
There's so much that's communicated non-verbally. Jesus was a master at communicating non-verbally. And these scriptures are just going to come up real fast. We're going to put this online later if you want to, to see these. Jesus, when a man came to him that had leprosy, what did Jesus do? He communicated non-verbally by touching the man. He stepped outside of the comfort zone of the culture of his day and he actually touched a leper. He was communicating to him, you're accepted, you're welcomed by God. You are not an outcast. You are not somebody that God can't love. He touched them. The, the disciples were trying to get the children away from Jesus because they were saying, you know, children aren't important. They're just like a bother. And Jesus didn't want to have anything to do with that. And it says that he took the children in his arms and he laid hands on them and he blessed them to say, children, you are important to me. He was communicating non-verbally. There were two blind men that were following Jesus and they were saying, would you have mercy on us? Would you heal us? And what did Jesus do? He touched their eyes, the very place of the deficit for them. He touched the very place that was causing them problems and that was keeping them captivated. And he touched their eyes and he healed them. There was a woman who was caught in adultery and she was brought out in front of all of the religious men of the day and they had stones in their hand and they were about to fulfill the law that said if a person, if a woman is caught in adultery, but what about the man? They didn't bring the man, so they brought the woman out. They are to be stoned to death and they had stones in their hands and what does Jesus do? He kneels down, he starts writing in the sand, communicating non-verbally to them. Now, we don't know what he wrote, but whatever it was that he wrote and then whatever it was that he said, they dropped the stones and walked away. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And then the Bible says this in John 1, or John chapter, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we have come to know what love is. He laid down his life for us. And we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The ultimate expression of nonverbal communication that you matter to God was that Jesus laid down his own life for you. Your sin does not have to keep you at arm's distance from God. There is a God who has open arms. You look at the cross, the ultimate nonverbal communication that you are accepted and you are loved. You look at the nails that pierced his hands and his feet and that the spear that wounded his side. You look at the crown of thorns that was on his head. Nonverbal communication to say, I love you. Your sin can be forgiven. I receive you. Will you receive me? He had open arms for you. Will you go to Jesus with your open arms and receive him? Because not only do you need a relationship with God, you need the power of God in your relationship so that you can love people and communicate from a good heart. So that you can find places that are common so that you can learn to express yourself in clarity and truthfulness and so that you can convey with your body how much other people are important to you and important to God. Let's pray.
I praise you, God, that you have communicated to us. Jesus, the Bible says you're the word. You're the word of God. You're the You're the truth of God embodied in human flesh, filled with grace and truth. And it is through your act of giving yourself voluntarily for our sin that we can have a relationship with God that will never end, life with God that is going to be filled with all that we need to help us live life well with other people. I pray this day that there will be individuals who are ready to admit they don't have a relationship with you and they want it. They will admit their need. They will believe, Jesus, that you are the bridge between them and God. And they will simply call upon you in their words and say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me and to save me and to take charge of my life. And I pray that you'd help them to do that and remind them that nobody has ever called upon the name of the Lord who won't be saved and nobody's ever called upon the name of the Lord that will ever be put to shame. God, would you strengthen our relationships so that we can demonstrate that we really are possessed by the Spirit of Jesus. And I pray this in His name and everybody everywhere said with me, Amen.